Well, it is good to see you. Good to be back here. Good to preach to you. I know it's half your face under that mask, but a half face is far better than just a camera. It is good to be back. Um, I used to be, back in the day, an English high school teacher. And the goal of any high school English teacher is to get the students to love books, to enter the world of literature and to, to love it. But then there's the HSC. And we read the same book again and again, and we draw out language device and technique and theme after theme. And so if you're of a certain age, if I say the word journeys or change or belonging, it's a bit of a trigger word for you, right? To take you back to a time that you'd like to forget. I remember a number of times that students telling me, so, what, so why, why do we have to learn English? I already speak it good. <laughs> now, besides the irony, right? They were tapping into the relevance. What's the relevance? What's the purpose of why I'm doing English? Why are we looking at these themes? And my fear is, as we come to John 13, I'm going to pull out a couple of themes from this passage, but my fear is you'll just switch off. But as we look at each of these three themes, themes of humility and power, themes of light and dark, and themes of love and hurt, we're going to see that these themes have actually a profound relevance for your life. And if you get them, they will transform your world upside down. So let's start with the first one. Humility and power. Let me ask you, who's the most powerful person you know? What makes them powerful? Their position? Their muscle? What they're good at? Have a look with me at verse 3, at a sentence that is all about power. John 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, those two words, all things, are big words, aren't they? Is that just some things or kind of some things? All things. I mean, some people have power over country, a company, a certain amount of money. But what that verse is saying is Jesus has now power over every country, every company, every single dollar, including you. All things. Now, I reckon that's hard to comprehend because, I mean, we have barely any power control over our dog, let alone much more than that, right? But here's Jesus has power over everything. Now, if you had that kind of power, what would you do with it? Look what Jesus does. What's the very next verse? So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. See, Jesus got up, grabbed the towel and some water, and went to each of his disciples, and one by one poured water and washed their feet, one after the other. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's, you know, probably just a, a custom of the day. And it was a custom of the day, but it was never done friend to friend. Slaves would do this work. But not Jewish slaves, Gentile slaves. The idea that they would even see their own people doing it was so offensive. They would get Gentile slaves to do this work. Now, we kind of really don't get this because you think about your feet right now. I imagine they're quite clean, wrapped in a sock, covered in a shoe. 
It's, it's not a, a dirty thing, really, our feet. And we walk in on streets that have been cleaned by the council and, and you know, you could almost walk barefoot and you're still, your foot would still be clean. But back in the day, you were lucky to have shoes, sandals. But even if you had sandals, the dirt was, the roads were just dirt, full of mud, camel poo. It was disgusting. So you'd enter someone's house, you need your foot cleaned to enter. And here, Jesus was doing that. To get, get an idea, it's like the equivalent of cleaning your toilet. Now, I'm aware in the North Shore, most of you outsource it to cleaners. So just imagine for a second, right? Your toilet, right? You've had someone you respect over for dinner. And in the middle of the meal, that guest gets up and says, where's your jiff? Where's your toilet brush? I'm now going to go clean your toilet. And the cleaner hasn't been there for a bit, so you know the, the toilet's quite dirty. It's got skid marks, it's urine stains. It's not in a pretty sight. And they go and clean it. How would you feel? I imagine mortified, right? You would be embarrassed. That is what it's like for Jesus washing their feet. It's shocking for anyone to do. But remember verse 3. Here, Jesus, all-powerful, God himself washing their feet. You know what it says in Philippians 2? Jesus, very nature God, took on the nature of a servant, a slave. That's not an exaggeration. I mean, he literally put a towel around him. That was the outfit of a slave. The king of the universe on his knees. The holy one washing dirty, dirty feet. No wonder Peter says, verse 8, No, you will never wash my feet. Now Peter is thinking just of the dirt that's on his feet. But this foot washing is far more than just washing of feet. Because verse 8, Jesus says, Unless I wash you, you'll have no part of me. Unless I wash you, you'll have no... Now that's a big call. It's not like an optional extra, is it? It's not like a, a highly recommended thing. No, no, no. Unless... Jesus wash you, you'll have no fellowship, no relationship with him. Now, that's all good for Peter, but let me ask you this question. Has Jesus washed your feet? He hasn't washed mine, not unless he did it while I was sleeping. Then how can we have fellowship with Jesus? How can we have a part with him? Because this foot washing is pointing to something bigger, to remove something from our lives far harder to remove than dirt that is more costly than just pouring water. See, what this foot washing is pointing to is a cleansing inside out of our sin, our active and constant rebellion against God. And Jesus is saying, unless I wash you, unless I forgive you, you'll have no part with me. And that has always been the case. See, foot washing is asking Jesus, clean me. Forgive me, inside and out. And it is easy, and it is not easy, all at the same time. It is easy, because what do you have to do to get your foot washed? Just do this. That's it. All you need to ask for forgiveness is ask for forgiveness. 
and you have a part with him. It's so different to joining Bondi Iceberg Swimming Club, where to join that club, you need to swim three out of four Sundays in winter for five years, and then you're welcome. For Jesus, you say, please forgive me. And he does. Easy. And yet it's not easy. Because you need to admit you need cleaning. You need to admit you need forgiving. You need to admit that you're in need. And that is not an easy thing to do. So we either ignore it, we downplay it, we think, oh, maybe I'll do it with Jesus, a bit of 50-50. It don't work like that. We kind of get embarrassed and think, oh, he won't be able to forgive this. He can come as you are. Your main obstacle, if you're not a Christian, becoming a Christian, or your friends to become a Christian, is it's not really science versus Christianity. It's not the historicity of the Bible. You know what it is? It's, at the end of the day, just acknowledging, I need to be washed. I need to be forgiven. Because Jesus says, unless I wash you, you'll have no part with me. You know, Jesus was all-powerful and then became humble. You and I need to have humility to say, you know what? I need forgiven, forgiveness. I need to be washed. And the beautiful thing is, when Jesus washes, he declares, you are clean. When he forgives, he forgives all. So that's the first thing. The second theme from this chapter is light and dark. I think this is probably one of the saddest chapters in all of John's gospel. It is a very dark chapter with very little light. It's dark, well, let me highlight a couple of ways. Firstly, verse 30, and it was night. That's not just an added detail for fun. That's to paint the whole picture of this meal. It happened under the cover of darkness. And a lot of evil things happen when the sun has gone to sleep. Under the cover of darkness, verse 21, what does Jesus say? Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Now, being betrayed is a profoundly hurtful thing. Some of you know what it's like. To have someone you trusted and intentionally turns against you. I've been thinking a bit about Judas this week. It's been a good week. Um, Why is it that every gospel spoils the ending when it comes to Judas? If you've done Christianity Explored with us, you know in Mark's gospel, and the same as John's gospel, the first time you meet Judas, it says, Judas, he's the betrayer. He's going to betray Jesus. Why? Why spoil the ending? It's like if you've ever read a murder mystery novel, you know, chapter one. Professor Plum entered the room. Who was the murderer? You know, it, what's the point in reading? Why do they spoil the ending? You know why, I think? Because betrayal hurts. It hurt Jesus. I mean, verse 21, he was troubled in spirit. He was troubled. Whether he wants to vomit and anxiety, I don't know what it is, but they could see physically his reaction. And not too long after that, they themselves would feel it too. I think why John spoils the ending is because he doesn't want us, the reader, to experience the hurt, the betrayal that they all experienced. They never forgot this night, clearly. 
But there's even darker things at play. Satan was lurking. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. See, Satan had been looking for a way to destroy Jesus. He tried in the desert. It didn't work. He tried through Peter, hollering, maybe the Messiah doesn't have to die. It didn't work. But Judas, that will. Now, Judas is not a victim. He can't claim, well, the devil made me do it. He is very much responsible. And even in the last moment, Jesus is offering bread as a sign of fellowship. But what does Judas do ultimately? He walks away from the light. He walks into the darkness, into death. And verse 27, Satan entered into him. That is a scary moment. I mean, you'll see demon possession in the Bible, but Satan possession? Where the great betrayer Judas joins forces with the great deceiver Satan himself to bring down Jesus Christ. I mean, Satan finally has gotten what he wanted after years and years of trying. His plan was working that he would kill and destroy Jesus Christ. This is a very dark, dark moment. But you know, even in dark moments... The smallest of light shines bright, doesn't it? You know, this week, after the days and days turned into weeks of finding little Cleo Smith, it seemed dark, didn't it? Dark would she ever be found? But the smallest of clues brought hope, brought light. And they shine bright under the overwhelming blackness and darkness. And in this chapter, it may seem dark. It may be night. But there is hope. Because Jesus is still Lord of the night. Yes, it may seem like a tragic accident or a mistake that Jesus picked Judas. But it was all part of the plan. It was all part of the plan. Yes, it may seem dark that Satan has finally got what he wanted. But the only reason he got what he wanted is because Jesus allowed it to happen. Notice verse 27. He says to Satan, what you're about to do, do it quickly. Jesus all the time is calling the shots. Evil, let me clarify this, evil is not from Jesus, but it is not beyond him either. It is not from him, but it is not beyond him. It is not a 50-50 fight. Who's going to win? Jesus is complete control, even of the darkness. Everything is in his hands, even the darkness. So when someone mistreats you and justice seems far away, remember everything is in Jesus' hands. When the doctor calls with bad news, remember everything is in his hands. When that 
person you pledge to be loved forever discards you and you question your worth, remember Jesus has everything in his hands. When you find another article that exposes horrific abuse, remember everything is in Jesus' hands. As soon as Judas leaves, this verse, verse 31, is quite confronting. When he was gone, it says, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Really? This moment? This is the glorious moment? Let me tell you why. Because the plan that had been set in place for all eternity was now finalized. That Jesus was going to that cross. Because Jesus not only has, is in control of the darkness, but he went to that cross to destroy it. He went to that cross to take death by the reins and deal with it and make it powerless. He went to that cross to take Satan and humiliate him so he has no power. He takes your sin and washes you, not with the water, but his own blood so that you are free. He not only has the darkness, he deals with it once and for all. You know, as it says in John 1 verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is that moment. You know when you're young, and it was at night, and you said to your mum or dad, I'm scared of the night, scared of the dark. And what would they say? Oh, there's nothing to be afraid of, don't worry. That worked when you were young, but when you're an adult, there are things to be scared of. There is evil, and there is darkness. But Jesus doesn't say, you have nothing to be afraid of. No, no, no. He says, I've got it, and I've dealt with it. And though the battle may be continuing, the war has been won. So do not fear. The third and final theme. Love and hurt. In a couple of weeks ago, I saw a poster, which was a yoga poster, that said, love without pain. Now, I've done yoga before. There was a lot of pain. But I can see the idea in which they were trying to communicate. Love without pain. It's so nice. It's so appealing, isn't it? To love someone without the hurt. But it doesn't work like that, does it? It hurts because we love. Otherwise, would it be love? Judas wasn't the only one who hurt Jesus that night. Peter too. Verse 38, very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me not once, three times. I mean, Peter declares in his boldness, I'm going to be there, I will lay my life down for you, Jesus. And then moments later, Jesus, never heard of the guy. Don't know him. And that's why I think, I mean, I have been loving verse 1 of this chapter. It has ministered to me this, and I hope it, this week, and I hope it ministers to you. Have a look, verse 1. Jesus knew that the hour had come from him to leave this world and go to the Father. Here it is. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
it's easy to love people in the beginning, isn't it? A new friend, things are going well. New romantic relationship, it's going well. New baby, oh, so cute. But when they hurt you, when they cry all through the night, when the honeymoon is over, Jesus loves his disciples to the very end. Even when they hurt him. Even when he needed them most. I mean, how, would you, how do you react when someone betrays you, right? If you're honest, it ain't pretty, right? But Jesus' love for his disciples and love for you is constant. And it never wavers. Even when we make big promises like Peter did. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And he doesn't. His love remains. When we sing songs in church, I give my whole life to one of this. And the next moment we are cruel to our spouse, watching something on the internet we shouldn't, or have these evil thoughts, or whatever. Even in those moments, Jesus' love for us remains to the very end. And that is a comfort. His love for you doesn't just go 90% of the way. It goes all the way. He doesn't walk out on you when you've done, he finds out you've done something. Right? His love for you is to the very end. He's unlike a spouse which death do us part. He goes through death and continues to love you. Do you know this love? Because the more I'm a Christian, the more I'm bamboozled by the fact that Jesus not only loves me, but he continues to love me, and he continues to love you. Even though nails and shame and pain was flung, his love for you did not waver. He loves you to the end. And a love like this, friends, redefines love, doesn't it? That's why verse 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. New, why? Not because love's new, but the motivation is in the Old Testament, it was love your neighbor, what? As self. But what if you don't love yourself? This is a human love. But Jesus comes along and ups the ante of divine love. Love others the way I have loved you. Love with pain. Because of the pain we cause Jesus, and yet he loves you to the very end. I don't know who at the end will be there for you who will love you to the very end. You hope there's a certain amount of people, but you could do something very stupid. You don't know ultimately, but you do know Jesus will love you to the very end. So in the end, friends, that love that we have received, what does it say? Love others like that. So it means that adult child in your life who makes decisions that pains you, that brings hurt in your life, Keep on loving them. That person who has a different vaccination status to you, show them a respect and a love, even though they might frustrate you. That ex-spouse, that ex-boyfriend, that ex-friend who has profoundly hurt you, you do not go online and shame them, but show grace. That, that work colleague, that neighbor who has left you high and dry, that doesn't deserve it, but you show them a love. Now, will this hurt? You bet it will hurt. Every part of you will hurt, but what you're experiencing was what Christ experiences of you. What you are showing is what Christ 
is showing you right now. Love others the way Christ has loved you. And you know what, friends? When you fail that command, Jesus still will love you to the very end. You know, these themes which we draw out, unlike English class, are profoundly relevant and precious truths. You know why they're precious? Because they're not just words. They're embodied in Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was powerful beyond measure, became humble and asked you to be humble and wash your feet. That though the darkness is dark, Jesus is still Lord of the night. That you do not have to fear because he has won. And that though we have hurt Jesus in profound ways, he will still love you to the very end. And then some. So love others. In the darkness and sadness of chapters, we see his glory, do we not?